Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Confer Culture brought to you by Timotheries, the podcast where we talk about the topics that many of us are passionate about. I'm your host Chris Murphy and this week we'll be talking about a TV show that's near and dear to my heart, one of my favorite all-time dramas, The Americans. Now, I recently just got through re-watching all six seasons of The Americans. Uh, for those who don't know, it aired from January 2013 to May 2018. Like I said, uh, it lasted six seasons. And it's one of my favorite dramas because it just nails so many things that it sets out to do, really. Like, it's very... It's a, I think it's a, like a very realistic take on marriage, the 80s, and the Cold War. Um, it was created by Joe Weisberg for FX. And it's critically claimed it won several awards for writing and acting. And it received two Peabody Awards uh, during its run, which apparently it was the only show... Uh, and at that point, it was the only show other than Breaking Bad to do so. So that's kind of the company that it that it keeps in terms of quality. Um, as I said, it's it's uh, a show where realism is very important, and as I said, it it's set during the Cold War. So in terms of description of the show, um, ju I'm just going to read what I pulled off Wikipedia since I think it's a pretty good summation of, uh, like, a good synopsis of, of what the show is. So it's a period, the Americans, a peri period piece set during the Reagan administration. Uh, and it is a show that was written by Joe Weisberg, a former CIA officer. And it focuses on the personal and professional lives of the Jennings family, a married couple of Soviet deep cover agents placed in Washington, D.C. area in the 1960s. Starts there anyway. And then they're, and they're unsuspecting American-born children. And so like they start in the 1960s and they kind of flashback um, to their to the, their beginnings and, and when they got posted in the U S and, and stuff like that, but it doesn't, it's not set in the sixties or the seventies for that matter. It, it picks up in the early 1980s. So the show's creator has described the series as being essentially about a marriage. Uh, he said the Americans at its core is a marriage story. International relations is just an allegory for the human, for human relations. So I thought that was, that's a really good kind of way to just sum up what, what, what it's about. And, he was Weisberg, the creator of the show. He was par partially influenced by the events of the Illegals program. And for those who don't know, it was, the Illegals program was a network of Russian sleeper agents. And this happened in real life. Uh, there were a network of Russian sleeper agents under non-official cover. So an investigation by the FBI culminated in the arrest of 10 agents uh, in June of 2010. And then a prisoner exchange between Russia and the United States in July, uh, later, like, so like in July of 2010, later that year. So this is something that sort of happened in real life. It just, it happened in the 2010s when the cold war was long over the Soviet union had, had long since broken up. Uh, Russia is still, I don't want to say it's, I, I don't know exactly it's government, but it's, it almost seems like sort of, I'm not going to say it's still a communist state, but it, it, it I mean, they have the same leader over and over and over again. And, and, uh, I don't know how 
there, there are a lot of laws that that country has that I don't necessarily agree with. Like, for example, the law outlawing uh, homosexuality, for for example. But that that aside, tensions ha- have have substantially cooled since since the 80s i remember uh for those who don't know i I was born in 1979 and i remember growing up uh the tensions between the soviet union and the west i mean not vividly but i remember it i'm old enough I, i remember there being in east and west germany i remember the berlin wall i remember when the berlin wall came down i remember the dissolution of the Soviet Union, and I didn't realize that there had been a coup attempt by the KGB uh, against uh, Gorbachev, and uh, which did not succeed, and then that paved the way for Boris Yeltsin to take over, and then the formation of the Commonwealth of Independent States, or the CIS, uh, in the early 90s, uh, which kind of replaced the Soviet Union, but then that quickly sort of fell apart because... The thing about the Soviet Union is it was held together by its military and and, and the the United um, idea of communism uh, within that uh, you know within that the Soviet Union and anytime they had kind of an uprising they would kind of quickly put it down and then they became more and more open under Gorbachev and then eventually um, once they started had democratic uh, uh, elections in in many of the countries that were members, they just sort of have a loose association, and um, though a lot of those nations actually uh, fell into a state of civil war after uh, after seceding. So that's quick little history lesson, and just this is just kind of what I remember. It's really it, that really is off the top of my head. I just I just remember that from growing up. So I, I think the show does a really good job of um, portraying what it's like. So at any rate, back to what I was saying, Joe Weisberg, he was inspired by the legal programs, and the, the illegals program, which uh, culminated in 2010, as I said. Uh, but he made the decision, and I think the really, really smart decision to set the story in the early 1980s because he thought a modern day setting didn't seem like a good idea. He, he thought the people were both shocked, but simultaneously shrugged at the 2010 scandal because it didn't seem like the United States was really enemies with Russia anymore. But And an obvious way to remedy that for television was to stick it back in the Cold War where you had Reagan calling them evil empire. You had Glasnost. You had um, just, you know, you had... Uh, um, the Iron Curtain, and you had, you know, NORAD, and you had, you know, it was just, it was a, um, a fascinating time in human history, and, and I think the number of times that we came close to global annihilation would surprise some people. Um, my dad actually uh, read a book about uh, the Cold War and, Rus- and um, Reagan's presidency, and how he, as his term went along, how he developed Alzheimer's and how it was almost like a sleep at the wheel sometimes. And it was, it was actually quite a scary thing to think of looking back on it. But we, we as a, uh, as, as a species managed to survive that fortunately. So 
I think it's uh, the eighties is an excellent setting for this again, because of the cold war and the tensions were what with Russia were at an all time high. They go into things like the Russia's invasion of Afghanistan and how the Americans were training the Mujahideen and how they became and that eventually paves the way for the Taliban later on and, and Osama bin Laden. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's just, it's really interesting to look at that uh, sliver of time back in American history, I think. So, uh, going to pivot a little bit here and just kind of go into who, uh, who starred in the show. Cause I think there's a number of, I don't want to say big names, but maybe names that people would recognize uh, that have been in this show. So I'm uh, just going to go again. I pulled this right off Wikipedia because it's just it's easy to, to look up there and, and just kind of copy and paste in my notes here. So uh, starring Carrie Russell as Elizabeth Jennings or Jennings. Uh, her Russian name was Nadezhda, I think is how you pronounce it. I, again, if I vote your names, is anybody who has ever listened to this podcast would no, I am terrible at names. So if I butcher anybody, anybody's actual name or their character on the show, I apologize. Um, so Carrie Russell's character is a KGB officer and wife of Philip. Um, Philip Jennings, played by Matthew Reese. His name was uh, Mishka, Misha, sorry, Misha, or I think uh, Mikhail, Mikhail or whatever. I can't remember. He, like Misha is short for... I'm pretty sure it was Mikhail, but I can't I can't quite remember that. Anyway, he was also a KGB officer and he's husband of Elizabeth, obviously. And those the the show centers around those two characters and how they you know how they were trained and learned to speak English because they're they grew up in Russia, they were born and raised in Russia, and then later they were trained to speak English and they were trained as spies and then they eventually end up in the United States and how they kind of live their lives. Uh, their marriage at first is just an act. Uh, and then the show starts off actually with them trying to make it into a real relationship, which is, uh, again, as the creator said, like the crux of the show, you know, the whole, it's more about a marriage than and a human relationship than, uh, than, than the spy part of it. Uh, Noah Emmerich is Stan Beeman. Uh, he's an FBI counterintelligence agent and the Jennings neighbor. Uh, Noah, Noah Emmerich, he's kind of interesting. Um, recently, I, I recently watched Space Force and he was the, basically the foil to Steve Carell's character in that show. And it's completely different from the role he plays here. Uh, he does a pretty, uh, excellent job. He's, um, best friend he he so he's an fbi fbi counterintelligence agent and he starts off the show moving next door to the jennings and that has a just a the that ends up leading to a bunch of tense moments in fact in the first episode he suspects that uh, he suspects something something feels a little off and it's int- and it's it's interesting there are so many times where he gets so close to finding out that it's actually his next door neighbors. So that whole dynamic is interesting where um, Matthew Reese's character, Philip, has to keep things from him while at the same time befriending him and they actually form a, a real bond, a real friendship, which is just fascinating in terms of the show. 
and he goes through a bunch of evolutions as his character he goes from willing to do anything and he ends up having an affair with uh his source at the the residentura and he loses a partner and then he ends up quitting counterintelligence and you know his arc in this show is, is quite interesting and he plays a gigantic role in the end he's not and like most um most people in this role like most characters in this show they would be too stupid not too stupid but they wouldn't be able to see what's right in front of them um the whole time and he always feels like there's something off with the jennings even though he he just puts it out of his head like i'm too uh paranoid i suspect everybody because his his past is that he was undercover in white supremacist group and and he was deep undercover for a while and then his marriage falls apart kind of because of that because he doesn't feel like he can trust anybody so it kind of plays a part into his arc and is really fascinating uh holly taylor as Paige jennings elizabeth and philip's daughter uh she's actually i believe from P prince edward island which is uh in the atlantic provinces which is close to my home province of newfoundland um but I just thought I'd toss it in there. But I think she does a pretty solid job. Uh, Kedrick Salati. And again, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. He plays Henry Jennings, uh, Elizabeth and Philip's son. If I'd had to say that there was any weak link in this show, it would be Henry's character. He doesn't, he's kind of just there. And he doesn't really, they tried a few times to give him some sort of arc. And he's involved a little bit in, in the show's ending, but the show really doesn't focus on him very much at all. And in one of the, my least favorite episode in the first season is an episode where him and Paige are hitchhiking. They get picked up by like this, he's clearly a pedophile or like somebody who has ill intentions for them. And uh, Henry has a moment where he stands up to them and hits, kind of hits him in, in, in the head with a beer bottle and it's a whole thing. And then they just don't talk about it. And it's, yeah, he's just, I don't know. They, they did a few things with his arc and he ends up going to this private school. He's really there as the, you know, what are we going to do with him? Because he's very entrenched in American culture and he, this is all he knows. And I don't think he'd do good in Russia because they debate whether or not they're going to go home a couple of times, like back to Russia. And that's the big thing. Like, what do they do with their kids? Right. And in fact, Paige's arc is, is also excellent because at a certain point in the show, they actually tell her, um, what they do, who they really are and how she deals with it is, is, Again, fascinating. Gets a little bit too religious for my tastes because, again, if you've ever listened to this, you know my feelings on religion. But um, she, how she deals with it, and her arc is pretty great. And she, uh, she's mature for her age, and she's very smart. And you know, she seems like seems like she's a bit naive, but she's actually not. And yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it's fascinating because the whole the 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 KGB wants to recruit American-born citizens so they can infiltrate. Uh, like they they have parents there, and you know nobody they can easily pass a background check and get into the FBI or something like that or the CIA. So, yeah, I think that's just kind of a fascinating arc. Uh, Allison Wright as Martha Hansen. Um, 
she's Agent uh, Gad's. Like he's Agent Gad is the lead, kind of the boss at, at Stan's office, and she's a secretary and Philip's informant because he kind of seduces her. She's looking for somebody long term. She's looking to find Mister Wright, and he comes in and he just he, you know, obviously he's wearing a disguise, but he leads her to believe that's who he is, and then they have a relationship and and. Again, her arc has really done well. She actually does some of the best acting in the entire show. Um, in seasons uh, three and four particularly. And just, yeah, some of the stuff. You can really see how the evolution of her character really weighs on on Matthew Reese's character, Philip Jennings. So I really think her, I, I can't oversell it enough. I think uh, she did an excellent, excellent job in the show. I don't know if she did anything after, but she should have because, again, she was just that good. Uh, Annette Mahendru as Nina Sergeyevna Krilova. Again, <laughs> bad at pronouncing names. So, she was a clerical worker who uh, she... So, she started in season one as she was um, basically getting... Taking... Uh, she was... I believe smuggling electronics equipment and selling it and getting money and sending it back home, extra money for her family, which is basically, you know, get shot in 1980s Soviet Union. And so Stan finds that out and basically uses it against her. And at first she's just his informant, but eventually they end up having an affair and she... Again, there's a lot of tension there about whether or not she's going to get caught, and ultimately she does. But her, what happens to her character too? It, it comes out of nowhere, and it's just it's like a gut punch. Um, but she, be, she ends up getting caught because she confesses because she just can't do it anymore, and um, she tries to play. She tries to turn Stan and tries to get information out of him, but that doesn't work. It almost does. You think it really is. Again, the show just nails tension. Uh, Lev Gorn as Arkady Ivanovich Zotov. Um, He's the resident at the resident in Soviet embassy. He's uh, he plays sort of an interesting part um, in the earlier seasons. And then, of course, uh, later on in, in the final season, he actually plays quite a big role, even though he's not in it very much. Uh, next, we have uh, Costa Ronan as Oleg Igorivovich Burov. And again, sorry about the pronunciation. Uh, he was the he comes around in season two, and then he sticks around uh, till the end of the show. Uh, he is originally the he's the Soviet Embassy Science and Technology Officer, and he ends up getting into the inner workings of the KGB, and he he has a very interesting relationship with stan he kind of because he ends up um also falling for nina as well and so what they have in common is they're both trying to save her because eventually she does get put in russian prison but um they they have that as a kind of a common bond and their relationship kind of evolves as the show goes on and and he has a huge huge role uh, again, even though he's not in it a ton, he has a really big role in in the last season. 
Uh, Richard Thomas is Frank Gadd. So he is the kind of, he's the FBI special agent and stand supervisor. He, he's got an office there. He's kind of, he's not the top, top guy, but he's just the guy in charge of the office, essentially. I believe he was in Little House on the Prairie. Uh, John Boy, I want to say the name of the character was, but anyway, uh, he's one of those guys, if you've ever seen his face, you'll know him. And, um, he doesn't play a super integral part, but he's there a lot in the show. And, uh, he sets in motion a couple of different events, which have a a long-term effect. So he's an important character. Uh, Dylan Baker is William Crandall. So he's only in season four, but I thought I'd mention him because he's so... He's such an interesting character. He's a Russian Russian agent and biochemical warfare scientist, and he, um, he's been in the legal for twenty some years, and he had a wife, and she got sent sent home. And he's kind of an like a weird guy. He's um, like I said, biochemical warfare scientist, and he works for the American government. So he brings he gives them samples, and there's an interesting. You know, there's he brings up a lot of the ethical ramifications of using um, chemical and bio biological warfare, and so, and he also furthers Philip's evolution into not trusting uh, the KGB, which again makes a huge difference later on in the show. Um, their conversations are, are are fascinating and. What happens to his character is, is it's very sad, but, um, yeah, like I said, one season, but he made a huge impact, at least, at least for me, I I really enjoyed that, that season as a whole. And I enjoyed his arc for it. So, uh, his character arc. So, uh, Brandon J, Brandon J Durden as Dennis Adderholt. So he was recurring season three and then he, uh, was full time, uh, four to six. And so he's basically, he's an FBI agent. He replaces uh, Stan's uh, original partner, who I'll get to in a a second. And um, he ends up becoming, he ends up taking over Frank Gadd's position in season six because what what they do is they fast forward. Basically each season uh, is not quite a year. They go from 81 to, I believe, 83 Maybe 84, but I want to say it was 83. Maybe it is one one year season, but at any rate, um, between season five and six, they skip three or four years, so they go to 87. And by that time, he's running it. Um, he's kind of running it. He's doing uh, Gad's old job. So uh, he has a also like a fairly big role in 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 the final season. Up next is one of my all-time favorite character actors, uh, Margot Martindale. She had she's been in Justified as well, where she was the head of kind of a, a local Kentucky uh, crime family. And in this, she plays a the Jennings' second and fifth KGB handler. And so, like, she just you know basically she's the go-between between her and and what they call the center of the KGB uh, illegals program. And she just does an amazing job as always. She's is such an excellent, excellent actor. If you've never seen her act, you're missing out because she's just that good. She, yeah, um, she's very good at being cold, calculating, but also at the same time sweet and and trusting, get, getting you to trust her. And um, 
you know, it's one of those, she looks like, she looks like she could be somebody's mom, but at the same time, she's just kind of, she plays characters who act sweet, but have like this whole underlying hidden agenda. And she's just, she's just really, really good uh, at that. And, and again, go check out her work because she's excellent. Um, Maximilia, Maximiliano Hernandez as Chris Amador. He was only there for one season and he ends up accidentally getting killed and it's, uh, by Philip and it's just a mistake because he's into Martha and he saw, um, Philip coming out in disguise as, uh, her boyfriend and he got jealous and he pulled a knife on him and yeah, so he ended up, he ended up getting stabbed, but the reason why I mentioned him is because he also pl- uh, played Agent Sitwell in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and a number of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. And uh, here he's just a completely different character from that. And um, he's super flawed, but uh, like a lot of the uh, characters in the show, they actually make you care about him. So I thought uh, I just thought I should mention it. Uh, Susan Misner as uh, Sandra Beeman. So she's Stan's wife and... Uh, they were together at the beginning, but they eventually end up splitting up. He has an affair. She has an affair. Uh, she goes to this thing called Est, which I had never heard of, but looked up and was kind of this, um, group therapy support group, uh, self-help kind of thing back in the eighties and changed his name a whole bunch of times. But, um, that's the thing about the show too. Maybe like learn stuff uh, that I didn't know or didn't remember from the eighties, which is, which is pretty funny, but She's out of the show by, I think, season four. And um, she doesn't have a super huge impact, just more to drive the arc of um, of uh, Agent Beeman forward. Um, another amazing actor, and who I remember being in the Masters of the Universe, the He-Man live-action movie from the 80s. He played Skeletor in that, by the way. Frank Langella uh, as Gabriel. He's the Jennings uh, first and fourth KGB handler. And again, he... he I forgot how talented an actor he is. Um, he is really, really good in the show. And uh, unlike Claudia, he doesn't seem like he has a hidden agenda. He tries to be honest with him and it gets a, he gets a lot of pushback from Philip because of it. He understands duty and he understands how the Soviet Union was before World War II and after. And... Um, uh, they talk a lot about, they reference, but they don't specifically say, like they talk about the Great Purge a lot, which I didn't know about and looked up, and again, the show made me want to do it, about how um, Stalin, I think, is it Lenin or St- I think it was Stalin, um, instituted a great, he would basically became paranoid and just started rounding people up and tossing them in gulags and shooting them. Uh, yeah, like like a death toll in the hundreds and of thousands, like maybe upwards towards a million over 30 or 40 years, like just insane. So apparently he lived through that and uh, learned a, a number of life lessons from it that he carried over into uh, later on into the, into the show. And so the character, I mean, of course not Franklin, but the character Gabriel, uh, which I thought was, Again, it, it made me want to look up something that I didn't know anything about um, because they keep talking about it, but they never specifically mention it. So, 
Uh, Lori Holden as Renee, who's only in it for two seasons, but Stan's girlfriend and later wife. And I mention her because she was in The Walking Dead and also in The Mist. And so she's been in a couple different, uh, so there are a couple different uh, horror franchises that I enjoy. So I was pleasantly surprised when she showed up initially when she showed up in, in season five. And one of the great things about uh, her, and I'll get into her later when I talk about spoilers for the final episode of the show, because I don't want to do it right now, but I'll give you, I'll give you guys a warning before I talk about the, I feel like I'm spoiling some things, but it's been off the air for a couple of years. And the things that I kind of have spoiled, uh, you can, if you're paying attention, you can kind of see coming, but, and in the case of Paige, like they build up to it. So, but in this case, um, Philip is not quite sure if, she was sent by the center to spy on Stan or not. And it's a reoccurring theme through the, um, through the, those two seasons. And there's some things where it's like, sometimes she says things where it's like, Oh, I don't know. And and then you think about it for a second, but that could mean anything. And it's, I think she plays such a great character. It's, it's, uh, one of her underrated performances, I think. And last but not least, and I'd like to mention uh, this person, Julia Garner as Kimberly, uh, Kimmy Breland. Um, I'd like to mention her because she is on Ozark. And uh, this is the first thing I saw her in. And I was right off the bat impressed about how good of an actress she is at such a young age. Uh, Although I don't know how young she was when she was in this. She's playing a 15-year-old, but I suspect she was older than that uh, when she took this role. Uh, but she's the daughter of the head of the CIA's Afghan group and later head of the Soviet group. And it's, this is one of the things, so Philip has to bug her, uh, find a way to uh, record conversations that her dad is having. And in order to do that, he, and get access to the house so he can bug it. Well, he ends up bugging the suitcase, but he ends up, he finds out that she's a young one of one of those um, teenage girls who's interested in older men, and he inserts himself into her life and kind of leads her on, and you know starts sort of a relationship with her. And it's like you can see he just hates doing it. He he's just like she's around his daughter's age, and it just it's one of the things that really weighs on him. I'd like to take a second too to just say how good of a job Matthew Reese does in this show. I think he won a um, uh, an Emmy Award for acting for his job in season six, and but well before that, he really got across uh, to you the fact of how much doing what he did weighed on him. He didn't have a lot. Of, he actually doesn't have a lot of animosity to 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 the, to the United States like. Um, Elizabeth does he just he's loyal to his country and loyal to her more so her I think and he does a lot of the things he does because he loves her and he loves his family and I could relate to that obviously but uh, the family part anyway and he just it just it weighs on them as the seasons go by and it just it you can see is just eating them alive and he just, just does such an excellent job with his facial expressions um during the the run of the show so i just like the i just want to take a moment and, and talk about that for a second 
So one of the things, one of, one of the great things that I really like about the show is that how they got actual, speaking of the cast, they got actual Eastern Europeans or actual Russians to play Russians, or at least people who spoke Russian or had experience acting in Russian plays. So they, what they didn't do is they didn't have English speaking people try to do Russian accents, which is just almost never great. If you've ever seen Sean Connery in the hunt for October, he's like, if he does a, a, a Russian accent at all in that film, it sounds horrible because he has his Scottish accent in there too, which he can't seem, which he doesn't get rid of. And if he does it at all, it gets, gets dropped really quickly and it sounds awful. Or think Harrison Ford in K-19, The Widowmaker. I mean, Harrison Ford's a good actor, but he just doesn't really... I mean, he he's a white guy trying to... Like a, a North American person trying to do a, a Russian accent. And he makes it work, but it's, it's one of those things where it's not realistic. And this show uh, does realism uh, really well. They Apparently, they well, they filmed in and around Washington. Uh, they made... They got... The little things like cereal boxes that are from the 80s or, or Coke cans that are from the 80s or vending machines that were from the 80s. Um, or they actually filmed some of the scenes for seasons five and six in Moscow, the stuff that, uh, you know, so because they, Costa uh, Ronan's character, um, Borov, he went back to, to Russia in, in, in season five to be with his parents because his brother uh, died in Afghanistan and just those touches, right? It, it makes it that much more realistic. Um, I, I put this show in terms of realism right there with um, the wire, which shot a lot of its scenes in Baltimore um, in the housing projects there and in the, like in the docks and stuff like that actually shot on location and they didn't half ass it. And they had people who worked in the police force there and in other cities, like consult and write for them. People who actually knew what they were doing and the wiretapping was super, like super realistic and everything like that. And uh, the other show that I think that I would put it there with is Mr. Robot, where the creator of that show specifically hired former hackers. So he his hacking techniques and... Uh, coding and um, his commands and operating system, like all that was super accurate. It wasn't just a Hollywood take on, it wasn't Swordfish where everything was like, let's put everything together. Like these cubes are being meshed together and then it looks like a worm at the end. And it's like virus made. And you're like, that's not how coding works at all. But um, it's one of those things where I'm a sucker for that kind of attention to detail. And I think this show really, really nails that. And like those two other shows, like I said, that the writer, like the, so the, the series creator and consultant on the show, he used to be, he used to work for CIA. And I think that's just, again, that's, that just goes to show how, how, how they like to, to make sure the attention to detail was top notch. And I, it's one of the reasons why I really love the show. Uh, another reason, of course, is the, the the great score. As I as I've talked about um, on a separate podcast, the score for the show is really good. But one one of the and as I said, it's really good at, at establishing tension. But one of the reasons for that is is like I said, the score. So when 
Philip is rewiring this phone box and, and installing a bug so he can listen in, or he's, um, when he's putting a bug into the briefcase of, of Kimmy's dad, or, you know, anytime he's trying to be sneaky, he's trying to, uh, get a download of the early versions of ARPANET, which if you know, uh, a little bit about the history of the internet, it started out as, uh, as ARPANET, a way to, um, connect computers to run sim- simulations for the military and eventually became the internet. Uh, so anytime he's like, is he going to get caught? And then music just kind of ramps that tension up and you're just kind of on the edge of your seat. And it does a really excellent job about, uh, with that. In addition to that, it really sucks you into the atmosphere of the eighties. Um, most of the songs I knew there was a couple that I didn't actually recognize, but like they had, uh, Ran Away by Flock of Seagulls, and they had uh, In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins, and, you know, they had um, just a whole bunch more that I was intimately familiar with growing up, having, having kind of, not come of age, but, you know, uh, been a child of the uh, in the 80s, so. Uh, and it doesn't overdo it, uh, like some other shows, like, I know I might catch, catch a bit of heat for this, but Stranger Things, I find, just goes completely overboard with the 80s references, it's almost like they're shoving it in your face and saying, Hey, do you know it's the eighties? Like every 30 seconds, um, where I don't find this here, uh, with this show, little things like to show you the year, they have a calendar sort of out of focus in the background, but you can see 1987 on it or, and then the, and the month sort of a bit out, out of focus as well, or movie posters about movies that came out in 87, because they're driving by a theater, you know, little, little touches like that. They're just, this is, we're just setting the stage, the, this, this, we're, we're telling you, we're describing kind of the, the world that you're in right now. And I think, again, it's, it's that attention to detail that I think really brings the, the show, it kicks it up that extra notch and, and brings a quality to it that I think a lot of other shows lack. At least in my opinion, anyway. And and I think this show is actually really super underrated. Like the, the ratings seem okay, but I actually feel like like I said, so they skipped they skipped from when they went from season five to six, they skipped about three or four years. And I feel like it was a little bit rushed. And in fact, the final season, like they usually do thirteen episode seasons, and the final episode or final final season I should say is ten. And I'm, it just, it feels like it was starting to wear its welcome ratings wise. And then, so they decided to just kind of, it felt rushed that way. Not the way that they told the final season story, but I feel if they had one more season, they could have really hammered home uh, Philipson and ultimately Elizabeth's arc really well. Cause the way that she, the way that she, um, how she ends up, uh, it's it's kind of surprise and it feels, it's not a 180 completely, but it feels a little bit hurried. And I, I feel like they were going for seven seasons and didn't quite get there because the network, uh, FX maybe just wasn't quite happy with the ratings. I, I'm not entirely sure and I haven't really looked into it, but it's just, just always a feeling I've gotten. So... I'm going to do two more things and then I'm going to close the podcast up. So the first thing I want to do is I want to talk about my favorite episode. And 
Secondly, I want to talk about the last episode of the show. So the first thing I'm going to do is talk about favorite episode. My favorite episode is Do Male Robots Dream of Electric Sheep? <laughs> Which is in season, it's about halfway, three quarters of the way. I think it's season, it's episode five or six of season three. Uh, the title is based on the uh, novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, uh, written by uh, Philip K. Dick. And that book served as a primary basis for the 1982 film Blade Runner, which I also very much love. In addition to that, the writer Joshua Brand was nominated for Outstanding Writer writer Writing, sorry, for a Drama Series Award at the uh, Primetime Emmy Awards. So it was critically acclaimed episode as well. So to set up a little bit, so I pulled this a lot of these, um, basically the entire synopsis off of. I believe it was the American's wiki fandom page or something like that. Uh, they go into it quite in depth. So I want to sort of, because the show was a slow burn, there's a number of things that happen that influence this episode before. So I'm just going to go into that for a couple of seconds. So there's this character earlier in the season called Hans. He's from South Africa. And he's anti-apartheid, which I also remember, too, uh, growing up. Horrible thing. Um, so, and they recruit him uh, as, which, I, I, it's one of those things that the show does really well. It's like, we're not so different than the United States and Soviet and Soviet Union. They both do good things. They both do bad things. Um, the Americans supported the apartheid government for years uh, because um, they had democratic relations with them. And I want to say they actually ran drugs to the country, I think. So there was a lot of, you know, the, the government was, the, but they didn't, like the apartheid was basically... The whites had all the power and uh, black people were marginalized and imprisoned. Nelson Mandela, like you can go look it up. It was a terrible thing, but the Americans didn't do anything about it. And the Soviet Union, because the, and even if they may not have done it for the right reasons, they opposed apartheid because the Americans were pro that government. So at any rate, they recruit this guy named Hans. There's this character from South Africa who brings in a hitman to to kill uh, this outspoken activist uh, uh, from South Africa. And uh, he's kind of a lookout at the warehouse where they take this guy to interrogate him. They're going to set off a bomb in the college. They stop it, blah, blah, blah. So... Um, Hans tries to exit too early. This guy Todd sees him, and then Elizabeth tells him, "You can't." So you can't take, even though she's not sure, they can't take the risk and tell him they can't work anymore. So, um, that's kind of setting up what happens later on in this episode. Um, in addition, they're in the middle of sort of, um, deciding when the right time is to tell Paige because. Uh, Gabriel and the, and the centered KGB wants to recruit her and wants to make her, um, wants to get her involved with their work. And also, there's another subplot going on. Uh, there is a woman who is defected from the Soviet Union, and she's kind of making the uh, press rounds. And um, the FBI has been assigned to protect her, in particular Stan, but he... 
And this is one of the ways the show actually goes to show, goes on to show that he actually is good at his job because he suspects her and doesn't think she's on the up and up. He doesn't fully trust her, but in this case, he's, he's like actually right. But you don't know for a few episodes and it takes, this is, he works with Burov because he's hoping that if they catch her, then they can make a trade for Nina. And, and that's why uh, Burov helps him. So all that is kind of a part of this episode, but it's kind of happening to the side. I'll get to why this is my favorite episode in a bit, by the way. So, as I said, uh, at the beginning, Elizabeth meets with Hans, tells him that Todd may have seen him, but she can't be sure. They can't work him anymore. Um, in addition, one thing I should mention is that as a cover, the Jennings uh, have their own travel agency, which if you think about it, it's the perfect cover because if they need to go somewhere else in the country, they can just fly there and say, well, I got um, clients I need to go meet or something went wrong. In fact, they pull that all the time in the show where... Stan is like, hey, where are you going? It's like, well, these big clients are threatening to drop us. I got to fly to Houston or whatever. And then it can just be gone for a couple of days and it just works. So at any rate, at their travel agency, um, they have a back room where they close the door. And Philip tells Elizabeth uh, that the FBI. So this is another subplot that's going on. They bug the FBI with the help of Martha uh, because Philip knows that Martha, or should I say Martha knows who Philip she doesn't know exactly that he works for the KGB, but he's. she knows that he isn't who he says he is because um, they, 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 she put a bug in Agent Gad's pen because he wanted to. He, he says he works for the FBI and he's doing auditing. And he's like, I really want to hear what they're saying. If they're releasing any confidential information, put it in the pen. Just leave it there. Don't worry about it. You won't get in trouble. So she does it because she loves him. And so they, the episode before, like, or maybe in a couple of episodes ago, they found the bug in the pen and they bring in a guy to investigate from the agency that Phillips, who he's pretending to be this guy called Clark, who he's pretending to be with Martha. He said he works for them, but the guy that they brought in isn't him. So she knows he isn't uh, who he says he is. So Philip is telling Elizabeth that the FBI found the pen, the bug in the pen, and that Martha knows who that quote unquote Clark, who is actually Philip, isn't from the office. It's the office of professional responsibility. OPR works in the FBI, like thinking of them as internal affairs if with the cops, basically. They're there to audit them. So as he wasn't the agent brought in to investigate, recommends giving her Martha time. And going back to the place, to her place that evening, because that's, he goes and visits her there. So Elizabeth disagrees, and she's worried that uh, Martha may have reported him, but that Philip says he trusts her anyway. So Philip arrives at, at her place as Clark, and he finds her happily cooking. There's no agents around. He was right to trust her. Uh, she tells him she's fine, and she just needed to know the truth. So they get a call from Children's Services because she wants to have a kid. And he's like, no. The reason, of course, is how he, he has his own kids. But he basically says that, you know, because of his, he's busy all the time and he's never there. He doesn't want to put that on a child. But that's just kind of an excuse. So she's been after him to adopt forever. She gets a, um, a call from them and declines the adoption and says that it's unrealistic. So during dinner, she tells him she's 
basically full in. She's in love with him. She'll do anything for him. He does have some feelings for her and he feels really bad about using her. But again, he's, you know, it's his job, right? So, and it does weigh on him as the seasons go by, like I said. So when they're having dinner, she tells him that the male robot, which is part of the, I'm going to back up here again. There's so much else going on. So they have this male robot. Basically, it's just this computerized mail delivery thing. It's just, it's on wheels and it's computer operated and goes in between floors and delivers mail to people. So the male robot is in the shop for repairs because Agent Gad, who's very frustrated, he got bugged and he's mad. He, he kicked it and, and he broke it. So she, she answers his questions and, and then, you know, so that is, that sets up the part of the episode that really appealed to me and really made me love it. So subplot, uh, Oleg is meeting Stan, abandoned warehouse. Cause as I said, um, there's this woman called Zanida, Zanida, uh, about maybe being a spy and that he has a risky way to find out. So they're working together too. And then this Todd character is working alone in the university basement. And then Hans, because he really, really wants to make a difference and be a part of the, the work that KGB is doing in the States. He actually shoots the guy in the face, but doesn't kill him. And he has to, and his gun jams, and so he has to fight and kill the guy with his bare hands. And so it shows his dedication to the cause, but also that he has to take a life. And um, that's something that they talk about, too, as this show goes on. Not necessarily with Hans, but, you know, with every, all the characters. So Gabriel uh, meets with them, meets with the Jennings, and despite Elizabeth's concerns recommends that they still continue running Martha as an agent because he trusts Philip's judgment. Uh, but Philip still becomes upset when Gabriel says the center is ordering them to bug the broken male robot. Cause he feels like they're, he wants, so he's concerned that they're going to want Martha to switch at the tapes and he doesn't like the danger of putting in cause he does care about her. So he just, so Gabriel just says he did to put his mind at ease. He just, someone else will switch him out. And then they should, you know, just trust that the organization, the KGB has their best interests at heart and wouldn't uh, expose their source. And then later Hans tells Elizabeth, he killed Todd. She isn't happy, but agrees to continue working with him anyway. Um, he just says he's dedicated. He'll do anything to ask that he's, that's asked of him. And, you know, again, shows the dedication to it. And, it's kind of sad what happens to him too his, his, later on. So back to Stan. He's escorting Zaneda after a meeting and proposed that he order room service um, at the hotel. So we're going to get to the part that I really, really love about this episode. So Philip and Elizabeth sneak into the repair facility where the mail robot's being repaired. He dismantles it and starts to put the bug in. So... Elizabeth, just they, they talk about, this is one of the interesting things about the show. They talk about his relationship with her and she sympathizes with him and knows he has feelings for her, which, you know, he doesn't want to talk about, obvious, because he loves her. So they hear a toilet flush upstairs and see a light on in the office. So Philip continues going while Elizabeth checks it out and she finds this old, oh, she finds this old woman, Betty. And she's the mother of the plant owner and she's paying bills. Elizabeth just initially says that they're just there to fix a the machine. But when Betty tries to, she picks up the phone to call for help. 
Elizabeth stops her. She yanks the phone at the wall, basically. And she continues to stand guard over Betty while Philip remains downstairs working the mail robot. So she's a super sweet old lady and she's chatty. She's telling Elizabeth about her husband, Gil, who served in World War II and her son, Andy, running the plant. And how she just stays there. She likes the quiet. She likes, she's alone now and she likes the quiet, uh, how quiet the office is and she can get stuff done. And, you know, she's, that's, she's just the sweetest woman. And Elizabeth becomes drawn to her, become, maybe because she's missing her own mother, mother, which I should say is another thing that's going on. Her mom is sick and dying, uh, Elizabeth's mother. So, so uh, she locks in the office and takes the phone, checks on Philip, telling him about Betty and her husband. They have an, an interesting, you know, about how he served in the war, how they were in love. They were both married to other people and they eventually found each other. And, you know, it's such a sweet story. So Philip just looks at her like um, confused about how she knows all this stuff about her and her hesitation to take the obvious needed action, which is if you've ever seen the show, you know where this is going. And then he just says to her, Betty picked a bad time to come in the office and he resumes doing what he's doing. So this, the, the, the diet, the back and forth between Betty and Elizabeth in this episode is just, it's one of those things that, as I said earlier, just highlights how similar the Soviet Union and United States were. They were believe what they were doing was right and their way of life was right. And they were scared of the other side and whether or not that was brought on by the people who were in power or it was just a cultural divide. They were, you know, they did a lot of good things. They did a lot of bad things and they both believed in the society that they were in and it hide this the back and forth like she starts to bond with her and again she doesn't say it but elizabeth you can see her when after she eventually does what she has to do how before that she you can almost see on how her face she's considering if if the ends always justify the means you know if if, if what she does she really have a choice? You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's, it's such that this is why this is such a great episode. So we're, we're, we're back to Stan and Zenaida at her hotel and he checks her room, room service, uh, uh, food. Wait, he goes outside waiting for the room service food to be delivered. And we cut back to Benny and Elizabeth still talking. And then Elizabeth's talking about her family, like how she, her mother lives in Russia and Betty understands why she's there and that she's, you know, she's going to die. Like there's no, she can't, they can't let her live. So she grapples with her fate for while Elizabeth slowly pours out the rest of her blood medication and stares at her. You know, it's just, she doesn't tell her to overdose, but she's just like looking at the pills and looking at her and just silently indicating she overdosed. And so, you know, that back and forth between the two of them, and you can see it, like I said, that she's really questioning, like, if this is, like, am I really going to do this? Uh, now we're cutting back to Stan again. And so there's a sound, Zanita, here's a sound in her room, and it's Oleg in the shadows pointing a gun. He tells her she has two weeks to recant everything. 
She said about the USSR's role in the Afghan war or who overturn and kill her. And then she remains calm and agrees to nothing. So Stan enters with food. Oleg attacks him, knock him in the temple with his gun before fleeing. So th- this is their way of trying to see if she's actually a spy. And it does eventually lead to him discovering that because she sends a message later on to tell uh, to tell the, the, the center to, you know, back off. Uh, we cut to Paige telling Henry to stop playing video games and go to bed. And then we cut back to, again, this is where the meat of the episode is, like I said. Uh, Betty starts taking one pill at a time. And then she, as she's taking them, she's talking to Elizabeth, telling her she and her husband were married twice and they were divorced. But as, after his second wife died, they remarried and more realistically accepted each other for who they were. And, and they were happy. And Elizabeth starts to tear up as she watches her takers taking her pills and reminiscing. She's surprised to learn Elizabeth has children and can't believe she chooses to kill people for a living. Which Elizabeth responds saying she's making the world a better place. Again, like the back and forth is just, it's so good. Uh, Betty asserts that Elizabeth is evil and fooling herself and then she dies. And then meeting Philip as she's finishing up, Elizabeth tells him that Betty will appear to have died of a heart attack. And then Philip sees Elizabeth is upset, um, asks if she's okay. And Elizabeth just, she's basically crying at this, but she's not going to hide her tears and they just have to leave. So again, it's, it's, she's questioning whether or not, like, am I actually evil? Like, are the things I'm doing evil? Is this, because she's super loyal that that's the great thing about this show. She's uber loyal, super loyal to the Soviet Union. Philip is the one who usually questions things and Elizabeth is the one who's saying like no we got to do it this way because it's our duty but you can see in this specific episode she questions like whether or not this is the right thing to do and if she you know do I have a choice um am I really going to do this um am I actually evil like could we possibly be on the wrong side she for the I think for the first time substantially questions whether or not she's doing the you know the right things for the right reasons and it's just it's fantastic um cut back to the fbi stan is telling gad and his partner agent Ederholt of the threat on zaneda he's told to go home and get some rest but he meets with oleg who reports that zaneda didn't confess her panic and then he sort of kind of grins at at and apologizes for hitting stan so hard and then stan offers him a beer and and quips back that Oleg probably wanted to just crack his head open, <laughs> and and yeah, they just kind of have a beer together. It's their evolving relationship, which plays further into this uh, show later on. So I uh, cut to uh, Philip and Gabriel playing Scrabble, and they're talking about the meaning of love and marriage. And Philip recalls that when he first saw Elizabeth, it was like a bolt of lightning. And again, like this is just describing how much he loves her. And Gabriel relates that Elizabeth actually rejected the first officer that was to be her husband. And so, in a way, chose him. And then Gabriel asks him to share what's troubling him. And Philip replies that he trusted Gabriel to look out for him and his family. But he's the problem by because he's pushing Elizabeth to recruit Paige and work for the KGB. And Philip feels like he's the only one left looking for his family. And that's where the episode ends. So, again, the reason why I love this so much is because the... the the character Betty, who's a one-off, uh, brings out such a, a thoughtful response. And, you know, it's one of those things like filmmaking 101, show, don't tell. 
and it's all over Elizabeth's face and her emotional reactions. And Carrie Russell does an amazing job in this episode. Just, you can see for the first time, she's actually questioning whether or not what she's doing is right. And she's doing it for the right reasons. And it's just fantastic. So after that giant description of my favorite episode, uh, which I think you should really check out, uh, you should check out the whole series really, but this one in particular is my favorite. Um, I'm going to go into the very last episode. So I will say now, spoiler warning right now, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you don't want to know, just fast forward it. I, I don't, I think I'll only spend a couple of minutes on this and then I'm going to go in, um, to, to, I'm just going to sum everything up and, and that'll be the end of the podcast. So spoiler, spoilers for the last episode. If you don't want to know what happens in the show, um, just skip, skip to the end. Um, cause I'm going to get into right now. So you've been warned three, two, one. Okay. So the very last episode, uh, essentially it ends the only way it possibly could have with Philip and Elizabeth in Russia and their kids back in America. It doesn't, they don't get there the way you would think. Um, by this time, Paige is, um, has been, I won't say recruited, but she's out actually doing spy work with Elizabeth. She's into doing KGB work and she likes it. Um, Philip actually quit cause he couldn't do it anymore. It weighed way too much on him and he just couldn't take the stress. And in fact, it weighs a lot on Elizabeth in this last season, uh, to the point where, um, the whole arc of season six is her trying to get a, a piece of technology and some intel to make Gorbachev look bad, even though she, so she doesn't know she's doing this, but the whole plan is to make Gorbachev look bad and remove him from power. Basically, they're trying to institute a, uh, a coup, which in, did happen in real life only in 90 or 91, I want to say. Um, the KGB tried a coup and uh, it involved several high-ranking KGB officers and I want to say a general or two in the military. And I think they kind of took from that a little bit. I don't know if a coup attempt actually happened in 87, but I think they may have just borrowed from actual events and placed it in that year because they didn't want to skip to the end, like the fall of the Soviet Union. They wanted to keep the attention of the show still alive. So she didn't know she was doing this. And ultimately, uh, even though Claudia tells her this is the right thing to do, Gorbachev's too, he basically is too soft. He, he's opening things up too much. They don't like uh, how he governs and they want to remove him from power. And they're trying to get her and they eventually do tell her and they she stops them. So this is where I'm talking about it feels a little bit rushed in that final season, even though they do a pre as good a job as they could building up to it. Uh, it almost could have used a couple more episodes. I don't know why it was 10 instead of 13. I don't know why it was 6 instead of 7 seasons. Like I said, I haven't looked, really looked into, but I suspect it was a ratings reason. So Barov comes back into the United States. Um, he There's a part of the KGB led led by Lev Gorn's character uh, that is trying to keep uh, the coup from happening. And Barov plays a major role in it, and he ends up actually getting arrested, and it seems like he's going to spend the rest of his life in an American prison for espionage charges. So even though they introduce in that season he has a wife and child. So that's very sad. 
Henry never has a clue what his parents do. Uh, Stan tells him in the last episode of the season, uh, right towards the end. Again, he's kind of an afterthought anyway, so I wasn't a huge fan of his character. He's Like I said, he's like the one weak link, I think, in the show. Uh, Paige initially begins to run away with her parents to go to Russia. And at the last second, she gets there's a train that's going to an airport. And she gets off the train and just goes back to the safe house that uh, where she, like, basically during the season in attempts to recruit her, she met Claudia and they were watched. They would make Russian food and watch Russian sh- TV shows and stuff like that and read Russian novels and listen to Russian music and, you know, those kind of things. So she ends up going back to that safe house and you don't really know what becomes of her. Like, They kind of hint that she stays there and maybe flies under the radar so she can keep an eye on Henry. But again, it's just, it's one of those things always leave him wanting more and they kind of leave her arc open, which is interesting. Lori Holden's character. So, uh, Renee, Philip thinks that she's one of theirs and the great, one of the greatest things ever, you don't ever find out. She very could possibly be a sleeper agent spying on Stan. Um, and there is no, they just leave it dangling and it could, it could go either way. And it's so great. I loved it. A lot of people would be disappointed because, you know, you want closure on, on something like that. But I think they were smart to not uh, kind of let you know one way or the other. So the whole thing comes down to and it's great little piece it's a, it's a great bit of writing and acting directing at the end of the towards the end of the final episode stan finally figures out he he's got he finally so after all the years of jennings going away and in, in fact in a couple episodes previously left there left their son henry who was visiting because he's off in private school he's visiting for thanksgiving and they left them there to go off. He's like, who does that? I know they got clients, but that's their kid, right? And it happened the same time as um, this big... They find an illegal and they start to tail him. And he gives them a message. And uh, the, it ends up a bloody mess. And while this is happening, he notices that the Jennings are away. And then he, the wheels start turning and he starts to get really suspicious. And he suggests to Adderholt, who's running counterintelligence, and brings him in because he's working in, he's just working in uh, the division that deals with dirty politicians and, and, and corporate crime, like white collar crime. And so, but they bring him back in. And so he suggests to Adderholt, he's like, he's like the first, like back in 81, they had a same make and model, different license plate of a car that, you know, we, we had spotted with illegals in it. And I searched the car at the time and didn't find anything. And then he starts to go over their house and look around and he starts to get suspicious. He finally starts to put it together because he is actually a good FBI agent and he didn't want to see it. And he eventually goes and stakes out pages because P- pages in college at this point and living in the dorm. And they eventually go, he, he stakes them out. Stakes out that place, eventually. He doesn't tell anybody where he's going, but he just goes there. And he catches Philip Elizabeth and Paige trying to leave. 
and he basically catches him in a big lie and it's this big standoff between Stan and the Jennings uh Paige Elizabeth and Philip and Philip is trying to explain he's like I actually was your best you actually were my was my best friend I don't have a lot of friends here and you were my best friend and I wanted to tell you so so many times and it was just just a job and he's like I I have to go I have to leave and I thought for sure that he that Stan was going to pull a gun and Elizabeth was going to shoot him but he just let him go and I thought that was an amazing like it seemed confusing at the time but upon the second rewatch I really really admired them for that decision I thought it was very bold and he does lie to the FBI at, at after and they tell him to like take care of Henry because he has no idea and and you know he was almost uh, a son to you and you know because he used to go over to his house all the time and everything and yeah so he just lets them go and I thought that was just and then he just lies about it after through the FBI and you know he kind of fakes he's like oh, I'm gonna kill him and you know I thought he was going to going to try and yeah again just an amazing arc for stan really like the first time i watched it through i didn't really care for his character but the second time was like yep like no one what would happen and then just looking for all those like little cues on his character arc it was legitimately great i really really enjoyed and like i said it was the only possible ending they could do because they played up so much all the way through the series about how if they ever go back to russia what will happen like how will their 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 how will their kids kids adjust because they would be they wouldn't speak Russian, they'd be out of place. And in fact, they stay a couple times because of that. And then they're so entrenched in American life, specifically Henry, but I guess less to a lesser extent Paige, that they just they don't they end up they it's about a marriage and then uh human like a human relationship, and then eventually how you have to raise your kids, do the best you can, and then send them off into the world because by this point they're both both like in their late teens and they're you know they're becoming adults so you kind of have to let your kids go and i really like you know as a parent i I really identify with that so end of spoilers um and and basically pretty much the end of the podcast i mean i've talked about this ad at length now and i've gone into why i really think it's an excellent excellent show as I've said throughout, I think it's one of the best dramas that I have ever watched on television. And and that's high praise considering I've seen Breaking Bad and I've seen seen The Wire and I've seen Mr. Robot. All those shows have a, um, a quality of writing and uh, realism to them that I think uh, puts them head and shoulders above the rest. And... It's filled with fantastic acting and, again, like, really good episodes. Show don't tell. They don't overdo the 80s thing. The 80s references. It made me want to go back and, like I said, look into the history of some of the things. Um, Because I only kind of remember it because I was still pretty young in the 80s. But I remember the Berlin Wall coming down. So, you know, looking into that and then finding about the... The Great Purge, and then finding out about the KGB attempted KGB coup in early in the early nineties, and you know, 
some of the like the American some of the things the Americans did like fund the Mujahideen or the Iran Contras or you know their support of the um, apartheid government just you know the Cold War history fascinates me anyway I actually have a board game called Twilight Struggle which is simulates the Cold War and like I said, it's just, it's just kind of fascinates me. And the show, I think, does a really good job of bringing home that theme, even though it's about more of a marriage and interpersonal relationships. So, like I said, check it out if you haven't before. If you have, uh, give it a rewatch. I implore you to check this. It's majorly unappreciated as far as I'm concerned, and not enough people have watched it, and I really think you should give it a chance. So, with all that said, thanks for joining us this week. Please like, comment, subscribe if you're able, rate the podcast wherever you listen, or if there's something you really want to talk about, email me at conferculture at gmail.com. That's C-O-N-F-E-R-C-U-L-T-U-R-E at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Chris Murphy, and this has been Confer Culture. Confer Culture.